Hey y'all, welcome back to Ghost Talk. It is your host, Hamza the Truth. We have here. Let me let me do it. I got you. We have here he's, today Abdurrahman Rosame, a second generation immigrant from Somalia. Um, he is the co-founder and executive director of Generation Hope, a youth-led recovery organization in Minneapolis aimed at ending the stigma of addiction and mental health within the East African community. Abdurrahman is a certified recovery peer support specialist and is in school for his LADC, Licensed Alcohol and Drug Counselor. This is his book. I told y'all niggas I could read, man. <laughs> I'm fucked up. Yo, he's been practicing that for hey, the past bro. 25 minutes. Congratulations. Uh, I have a lot. Rahman, how you feeling, brother? What's happening? Man, I'm feeling good, man. I feel like I'm in the episode of Get Out. Yeah. We in the birds today. <laughs> we in the boonies, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what everybody like a 40 says. 40-minute drive. It really was a 40-minute drive. We saw a dead deer. On our way up here. <laughs> on the side of y'all seen that too? On the side of the road. Yeah. That's why nice though. That's nice. Thunder, you live you live in the burbs. Yeah, that's what happens when you live in the burbs. You don't want to leave. You don't you don't leave <laughs> exactly. the house for a while. Yeah. yeah. They be saying shit like, man, I don't be coming to cities like that, bro. <laughs> but yo, look what's right behind you though. All right, it's beautiful. Would you the leave? view. Beautiful. During the day, they should be just a deer running around. Nah. <laughs> well, I, I have a video, bro. During the day, like broad daylight. Hold on, I'm going to show you. The you most, know how wild that is? The most that's ma- nice. majestic, majestic yeah. and beautiful <laughs> video. Look at this video, bro. Look at this video. Look at this video. Tell me that's Imagine not beautiful, Imagine you just bro. eating f- Fruit Loops. Just you know what I'm up. hearing in my, in my head right now? Yeah. You know that uh, thing you used to see on the cartoons? They're just jumping around and stuff. You see the deers and shit? You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Mashallah. Mashallah. Big mashallah. Hey, man, do you want to just realize these, both of y'all authors? Yup. Yeah. People say we look alike too. You get that a lot? Yeah. Yeah. It's just two good looking black men. Come on. You don't think we look alike? Yeah, I don't think so either. I think we're just both dark skin and good looking. Exactly. And it's, a, it's the constant smiling and they're like, <laughs> the same niggas. Yeah, these niggas look alike. <laughs> and plus we dark skin too. Yeah, know? that's exactly yeah. what it is. They be like, they be coming up to me. You Abdurrahman? You Abdurrahman's uh, younger brother? I'm like, no. I'm not Abdurrahman's younger brother. Kind of in a way though. This is, this is big bro. Y'all both big bro in a way, mashallah. Nah, nah, not even bro. Yeah. Not even. <laughs> nah, nah. For sure, for sure. Hey. Hey, so what was this? What was writing this book like, from addict to advocate? First of all, what made you? What made you want to write a book? Bro, I don't even know. Well, like, you know, I was crazy. Is when I was uh, thinking about like, because writing a book was something that I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But like, it always, I always used to tell myself, I'm gonna write a book when I get somewhere. But the truth is, like, no matter where you get in life. You're never going to think you made it mm-hmm. because you're going to be at the place that you're at. You know what I mean? You get comfortable with it. You can always want more. And when I was writing, like all of these poems aren't poems that I just wrote right now. They're a collection of poems that I've uh, written over like the past three and a half years. And so I don't know, bro. Like uh, I think it was, we were, we were in Amra together and we came back, me and uh, Thunder and it was a it was a life changing experience for me. I never been there, and so when I got back, I, I guess like I, there was just this inspiration where I told myself, "Yo, it's now or never. Let me just do it now." And so I just started writing. Uh, it took me about four four and a half months. I remember when I first 
I was calling you. I was calling you and Chada throughout the whole the process <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I I think the biggest thing was like um I wanted to get it done and have it like at a, a, a monumental point in my life, you know, because each year on my uh my my year mark for my sobriety, it's like a monumental point in my life because I mean, with myself, it's like getting sober, it's it's so surreal to me. You know what I mean? Because there's a change in your lifestyle. And while up you know, you get accustomed to it. But when you reach that point and you're like, damn, a couple of years ago, I wasn't like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I celebrate it. You know, it's, it's a time to, in, in my life where I, like, I try to celebrate myself. And so for this, it was kind of just um, putting, putting a, uh, turning a, cha- turning a page, turning a chapter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Saying like, yo, you know, um, you know, cause I've written poetry since I was like 13 years old. Never really shared like that. Um, I, th- I think I went to like a couple open mics throughout like high school and stuff like that, but I wasn't really big on it, but I would always write. And it wasn't until 2020 that I started sharing, but it was, it wasn't to share my art in a way. It was more for something bigger than me. And so I feel like in a way, when I was writing this book, it was more so not just about a biography of my life, but a collection of my poems that I wanted to present to the community to turn kind of a chapter into the way of my advocacy and how I do my advocacy. Because before 2020, we weren't really like uh, sharing a lot of stuff online. We were doing events, you know what I mean? Doing a lot of outreach, but because of COVID, we had no choice and we had to figure out new innovative ways to, to you know, do the advocacy and outreach to people online. And so that's where we, a lot of the poetry and all that, you know, essence came from, you know? So, and it was stuff that I was already writing, but I kind of kept to myself. It didn't really like go around, you know, and whatever. But like, yeah, it, it in a way I it, I enjoyed it, you know. But I feel like this is kind of a a turning a new chapter for me. Mashallah. Um. So the book is called From Addict to Advocate. When when you were dealing with addiction and when you were just, um, I'm I'm someone who's who's known you almost. I think we've known long each other time, yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. And. So like teaser days. Yeah, and I, I like I've known you before. You you started dealing with addiction during yeah. when you were dealing with addiction and after as well. Yeah, and like well, I believe it's it's just it's a very inspirational thing and it's a beautiful thing. Like just to even just a little bit to be a part of and to watch as well. Yeah. Um, because everyone everyone deals with things in their own way, and not not everybody's necessarily dealing with addiction. Um, but. You you go through things, and when when you said earlier, it's kind of a surreal feeling when you like when you're not dealing with that with that problem anymore. Obviously, like and you know this as well. Like when you when you deal with addiction, it's like a lifelong journey. It's not something that just like disappears mm-hmm. and goes away. Yeah. Um. But you're right. Well, I it's it's very surreal, and it kind of reminds me of like my parents. Like I was having a conversation with my dad, and like he lived in a in like a life a lifestyle where you live in day to day. You don't know if you're going to make it to tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to make it to the next day. And then now, it, it's, it almost feels like you live in two different lives. Like, you lived a whole lifetime. You close that chapter. And now you start another life. And you close that chapter. And I feel like you're doing that with your book right now. And 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 voila, I bid you I bid you the best moving forward, inshallah. Um, how much did poetry help you through through that process? And... Were you still writing when you when you were dealing with addiction, or is it yeah. something that got cut off? Like, what was that? No, like? I was writing. You know, it's crazy. I used to write a lot more during that time period. Um, and the first page of my book, when somebody opens it, it's like a there's a small piece that I wrote 
in uh, 2020. Um, and it goes like this. is poetry so hard for me. I can only write off my feelings. More specifically, pain. But does that mean that I'm healing? I wouldn't say that it stops the rain, but it keeps it from reaching the ceiling. Poetry is my favorite escape, but it only works when I'm weeping. Mm. And so that, that piece, what it means is like, you know, poetry is my biggest coping mechanism. Writing is my biggest coping mechanism. It always has been. Um, and I think the reason as to why, like I added that into the poetry, into the book, was to show kind of like how, how, how real it is. You know what I mean? Especially for artists. I feel like a lot of artists, most artists, that's what they do. You know, some people do it for fun, but most people, it's, it's a coping mechanism. You know what I mean? And so kind of giving them an outlook into my life. But with myself, I never really shared my poetry much. And so it was something that I just used to keep to myself when I would feel down or whenever I would be going through it, it would help me a little bit. You know, that's why I said it. I wouldn't say it stops the rain, but it keeps it from reaching the ceiling. You know, it keeps me from going insane. It keeps me, you know what I mean, kind of intact in a way. So, yeah, it does. It does help me, bro. So it's sort of like an outlet. I, I felt that too, because sometimes... You wanna. There's days where you're feeling good and you feel yourself, and like the world, the world isn't so great, and you wanna write some poetry about it. But like when you when you kind of get into the groove of like, oh well, I write because it helps me deal with whatever is going on in my life. Mm -hmm. When you're not dealing with shit, like you all of a sudden it ain't shit to write about, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, like, I, I know you know that feeling. So niggas be like, yo, why is your yeah. why is your shit so dark? Exactly. <laughs> like, why is your shit so depressing? I'm like, bro, this is. Um, oh my God! Somebody the, told me one time they say, "Yo, bro, why do you always write about some dark shit, man? Write about some clouds or some yeah, sunny shit." Yeah. shit. I was like, "Yo, man, it's I not know, even it's, like that." It's not. It's, it's always the easiest thing to write about is, is is what you're feeling right now. Yeah, you know what I mean. And what and not even right now, but the emotion that you feel the most. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And like the experience that you have the most. So like, whenever people go up to like rappers and they're like, "Well, why y'all always talking about the streets and niggas shooting at each other and whatever it may be." Because that's the most powerful emotion in their, in their life at the moment. Mm -hmm. You ever peep how like a rapper, when they first start out, that's what they're talking about. They talk about kill this nigga, shoot that nigga, stab this nigga, rob this motherfucker, right? And then they get up and they make some money and they turn into gunner and they just start rapping, out, rapping about all the money they got, the yeah. kind of cars they got, yeah. um, the designer they're wearing, yeah. all of that. It's, it's to, for the lack of a better example, it's the strongest emotion in your life. So when you're dealing with all the stuff in the streets, like that's what's constantly on your mind you know so yeah. a man is, is is only ever what he what he thinks about the most you know so it's a fact i think i think that's a powerful thing bro and i think it's a powerful thing for you to um for you to advocate like that and for you to write about it as a man was was that difficult to just express emotion and to talk about things like that hell yeah i think um i think it was more of like a force to me because my first time speaking about like my journey it wasn't even on purpose mm -hmm. i spoke at a different event and I was asked to speak there and the whole thing that I told him was like, I'm not ready to talk about my life yet, mm -hmm. but I'm ready to speak about how the community treats people that deal with addiction. Uh, reason being, it was because the event, I knew there was going to be probably a lot of people I ain't seen in years and I wasn't really ready for that yet. And I was scared of the stigma, the judgment, the shame. And I remember sitting there and they were like, hey, yeah, this is Abdurrahman. And he's going to speak to you guys about his journey with addiction. I'm just like, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> it was too late, though. So I said, yo, the cat's already out the bag. Just whatever, you know? Um, and so I feel like 
you know, uh, sharing my poetry is easy was easier than talking about it in front of a crowd because I only did it a couple of times before I started going online. And I think my biggest motivator, um, which is kind of, you know, heartbreaking in a way, but like, and that it took took that much, you know, but like, I feel like my biggest motivator with the vulnerability was just the climate of what was going on, you know, in our community and stuff like that. A lot of people I knew was like dying and a lot of people I was really close with. And so I felt like, yo, I got to speak about this and I got to, and like my first time showing it online, I think the biggest thing was like, I showed something that um, was very like uh, explicit. You know, I showed a video of myself overdosing. A lot of people think that was acting. It wasn't acting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. My homie took a video of me because he thought I was tweaking out. You know, we used to do that to each other. Just joke around, you know, not like, like just to like clown each other, you know? Yeah. Um, but he didn't know that because he ain't taking no like, uh, he wasn't taking Percocet at the time or nothing like that. So in his head, he thought we were, I was just like, because at that time we were taking like Xanax. So he he thought that, you know, I, would, I was like off the bars, just woozy and stuff like that, but I was ODing. And so the reason why we released that was because there was, that was like 2020 March. There was a lot of overdoses that was happening in the community like week after week after week after week. It was the beginning of the pandemic too. And we, and we had a big event that we were working on that we couldn't do. And so then, you know, we were just like, let's try something new. And I think that was my biggest motivator was the climate. But you know, well, I, I'm not going to lie to you. It did take a lot. And sometimes I used to regret it, especially within my first year, you know, like because of how people treat you, how people act. You know what I mean? Um, I recently wrote a piece about that frustration, you know, because... There's, there's like certain tones people set and certain ways people act. And it's in a way that's, you know, like a microaggression. You know what I mean? Condescending. Speak to you a certain way, say certain things, uh, treat you a certain way. And most of the time, the underlying reason is because you're in recovery. Um, and so I used to regret it in a way. But I think the biggest thing was accepting my truth and understanding like, being the most authentic version of myself is for myself. It's not for anybody else. You know what I mean? And and the world that we live in right now, it's like everybody just kind of like trying to show a face because of social media, because of whatever reason. And it's like, I think, I think that's my biggest thing is like just being, being okay with myself, being okay with what I've been through, being okay with my past, accepting it and understanding that I can be the best person, the, Best version of myself if I'm honest with myself. It's part of recovery. Yeah. I love that. Wow. I love that. This is gonna be this is gonna be a wow. deep episode, y'all. <laughs> Shit. Um, yo, I had one good. question regarding that too. Yeah. You said, and I quote, first of all, we love to give flowers. Oh yeah. What you're doing, I'm hey, not gonna lie to you. Real, real quick, um, I think the wire is like covering your face. So oh, word. Yeah. If you want to just you can take time. them off too if you don't want to wear them. I ain't trying to do that thing you was telling me last time. Yeah, no, you good. You could okay, just. I'm so. saying you could take the headphones off. You don't gotta wear it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. If that makes was it covering my face? No, yeah. I think you it should just, wear. It. I think you should wear it. Right. Flip it though. So I would see how the wires on that side. Oh, okay, it's not. Like it wasn't this. covering his face. There you go. Type shit. Because he was like this, you know. So I thought it was covering his face. Okay, that's smooth. There you go. Oh, now I just feel like it's a lot more intimate when someone does have their their headphones on. It's just the conversation. I feel like you're speaking in my mind right now. That's what it sounds like. You know what I mean? It's just a good thing. But yo, since we give since we give our flowers in life, first of all, what you're doing, I feel like, is probably one of the hardest things to do. Because first, 
admitting that, yo, what I did is all me, right? And then secondly, having like the courage and the actual balls to like bring it out to the public. Because for some reason, I feel like, especially in the Somali community, it's mm-hmm. facts, regardless of what it is, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing something bad, qari, just come up, show face, smile, put on makeup, whatever you got to do, go back home to whatever whatever situation you're in, right? Yeah. And I feel like that that's one of the worst qualities we have. Because the idea of like, yo, no one ever learns from someone else's fuck up. Yeah. And the idea that you are like, yo, I got a blueprint for you, little bro. Like, I know you're going through it. I went through it. And I'm going to show you exactly what I did. Well, I, first of all, flowers. Appreciate you. But I want to, but due to you being public, right? People know of the recovery process, right? So how do you navigate that? How do you navigate going into a room? But a bunch of people, everyone's just looking at you. Mm. And you know exactly what they're thinking. Yeah. Because we've had conversations about this too, privately. Of like, people will look at you a different way, like you said. Facts. Underestimate you. That's kind of like the, it's it's like two sides of a coin. Like one side of it is like, yeah, because you're so so vulnerable, a lot of people can relate to it and be like, you know what? Damn, Abdurrahman did it. I can do it too. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, a lot of people like know your business, you know, and know like what you've been through. and, And so, yeah, like Hamza said, how do you, how do you sort of deal with that? Excuse my language, but you just don't give a fuck, bro. You know what I mean? There's gonna be a lot of clips on this one. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be a lot of. I think. A lot of clips. I think that's the biggest thing. Is like, and speaking on the whole thing with the Somali community, I think that it is deeply rooted in our culture, but there is an added, like, layer when it comes to society. You know what I mean? Because it's a societal thing. You know what I mean? Not just ayatul qari, but showing a good face. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People only show their milestones. They don't show their fuck-ups. Mm-hmm. They don't show the process, right? Yeah. They just show the result. And so what that makes people think is, yo, this is easy. One. Two, it makes people think that, yo, um, you know what I mean? Like, oh, they it's a comparison thing, you know, where people are looking at everybody's. So it makes people insecure inside. People is, are insecure most of the time. What they do is they'll, they'll um, project. You feel me? So you got somebody else that's insecure about their own losses or whatever, and they're looking at you. And to make themselves feel better, they'll look down on you. You know, it's that superiority complex. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so, like, I feel like the biggest thing is, like, in the beginning, I used to really get me down. Mind you, bro, I was 21 when I first started this. You know what I mean? I don't have no college background. You know what I mean? Just went to high school. I went to college one semester and a half. Failed. You know what I mean? I don't know much, n- nothing about, you know what I mean, this, you know, political world mm-hmm. you know what I mean so it's like you get so many different people that you know think the biggest thing will lie and I was talking to one of my homies actually like really long time friend of mine who's in recovery as well and I haven't spoke to him for a minute because he was out of the country and I was talking to him on the phone I think it was yesterday and he said bro you know one of the biggest realizations I made is that when you announce that you're in recovery if somebody knows you're in recovery 90% of the world is just going to think you're a dumbass. Mm-hmm. And they're going to treat you like a dumbass. But they won't say it, right, because of the, the how how the status quo is now. You know, like 10 years ago, people didn't give a fuck about mental health. Yeah, People didn't care about addiction or any of those things. You know what I mean? And I feel like it's like, it's just how the world is moving and people are waking up. People are talking about these things, which is a good thing. But then you still got that that ignorant other side of the community. You know what I mean? Where people are still ignorant, arrogant, 
you know, and I feel like all of that is just, it comes from the root of it, bro. It's just ignorance. People just don't know. You know what I mean? And so I feel like with me, the, the biggest thing that I had to do in order to move forward was understand that what I'm doing is bigger than me. It's not for me. It's bigger than me. So at the end of the day, the, you know, it's the cost benefit. The cost of it is that niggas will look at me this way. But the cost of that, right, it comes to what expense. Like, bro, they don't pay my, these niggas don't pay my bills, right? Fact. These niggas, at the end of the day, I'm not calling them, I'm not being with them every day. These are not people that are my loved ones. I don't rely on them for anything, right? I don't seek validation from them because at the end of the day, and that's what people fuck up, right? And that comes from, we could talk about that for a whole long time, right? Just growing <laughs> yeah. up in society, right? Your parents raising you in a, in a house, you just know your family and then they yeah. put you in school. Just a bunch of home motherfuckers you don't know. Yeah. And you, now you the same validation you're seeking from your family, you're seeking it from school. You know what I mean? Or kids growing up in social media. You know what I mean? And I grew up, my first social media account, I think I was seventh grade. Still was young. But as people are growing now, it's not that, it's not like that. You know, people grow up with a phone. You know what I mean? Social media at a very young age, seeking that validation, which causes you to, you know, be insecure in certain ways. Show a face. And so I feel like with me, that's, my biggest thing was like, I had to understand, yo, the cost of this is that people will look at me a certain way, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to let that shit affect me. I'm not going to let it stop me. The, the benefit of it, though, is making that making that change. You know what I mean? Doing what I love doing. I wake up, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Whether I'm making $1, whether I'm making $10, whatever I'm making, at the end of the day, I'm happy doing it. You feel me? So at the end of the day, that nobody can take that away from me. No matter how many people look at me a certain way. It took me a, lo a long time, bro through therapy, through self-evaluation, reflection, that I had to come to that conclusion, though. You know what I mean? But it did. In the beginning, bro, I'm not going to lie, bro. That, that shit hurt. Because you see people that you look up to, you respect, people you think that, you know, because in the first time, especially, like, when you share something vulnerable, people will commend you for it. Oh, my God, that's, that's amazing. And so that's kind of like, I'm not saying it's always a facade, you know, because some people, that's their true feelings. But because of how people... Like things are injected into them, inserted into them, their belief system, where an, somebody that dealt with addiction is a lesser than, right? Constantly, the way they speak to you, they probably don't even notice it themselves. It's in their subconsciously, they're doing this. They're speaking down on you, mm -hmm. speaking to you a certain way, overlooking you, underestimating you, not thinking you're capable, right? But those things, it, it gets inserted and that stigma gets inserted into the person that's dealing with, you know, addiction or they're dealing with, they're in recovery. Right to the point where that person doesn't think they're capable. That person doesn't believe that they're enough. And some people, it causes them to relapse. Some people, it causes them to think, you know, to, to self-sabotage. You know what I mean? So it's different for every person. Yeah. I feel like that's the, one of the hardest things. 100%. 100%. Self, so finding, like, validation and, like, understanding where you find validation. Uh, there's, this, there's this song on uh, Kendrick's new album. He says, uh, I got some homies who grew up without fathers mm. and they spend the rest of their lives overcompensating. Mm. Like, just like looking for that validation in other mm -hmm. places and like doing yeah. the doing the most just to get that validation. And like, we know a couple of niggas that are like that, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Who are like, who didn't have father figures, who didn't get validation as, as, a, as a young kid. Um, and you, you look for that in, in other places and, and it's a very, it's a very dangerous thing. Um, you, I was looking through your book right now, um, a little bit earlier too. And one thing I love is just like how real this book is, bro. And how much of your life is in it, right? Um, and you had a, 
you wrote a letter to yourself. Yeah. Uh, on February 16th, uh, 2020. Right? Yeah. Uh, and the first, the first line is, is, uh, hey, bro, LOL. <laughs> you've been through a lot this year, overcame a lot, and you've grown a lot this year. Mashallah. And there's another part um, where you say, and this was deep, you say, I know, I know if you get this letter, let's hope we don't die. LMFAO, inshallah. <laughs> you remember how I was stressing and confused about what path I'm going to take. All I can say to you is to remember how you got to everything in the first place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted us there. So whatever you are and whatever you and whatever you're doing, remember that Allah wanted you wanted you elsewhere. Well, remember that if Allah wanted you elsewhere, you'd be there. He has saved us in alleyways, on gunneries, saved us from the brink of destruction. He has never and will never abandon us. So whatever position we are in, just know that we've came this we've come this far and we are exactly where we're supposed to be. And there's more. Um, but First of all, I love that. It's beautiful. I think that's something that everybody should do is write a letter to themselves and, and reflect on it and look back on it. But I see a lot of um, very nuanced and specific things in regards to faith. Um, and first of all, when did you start your sobriety journey? June 16, 2019. 2019. So this is just a few months into that into that journey when you yeah. when you wrote this letter about to like yourself. Eight months, yeah. Eight months. Uh, I got a lot of friends too who I, I obviously, as you know, who kind of went through went through that process as well. And f their Iman and their faith and their deen was a huge part of that. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Um, just reconnecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, I think of me, bro, like, my biggest thing was when I was, when I was using, bro, I didn't really pray like that. The only time that I would pray is when I would be in jail. Mm -hmm. I got shot at. I woke up in a hospital. Feel me? It would be like, near-death experiences. And I remember every time, like in my head, I'm thinking, yo, like, I got to change. I got to change. And every time that would happen, something worse would happen. And it wasn't until about April, I had to do a month in jail. And that's when I started praying. It was two months before I got sober. And I remember it was funny because during this time, I'm trying to I'm trying to pray. Like when I got out of jail, it's Ramadan. I got out May 3rd, uh, 2019. And Ramadan was May 5th. I got out on a Saturday, I remember. And Ramadan was on a Monday. And I remember this time, like first I'm not trying to use and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then as time went on, you know, I ended up slipping up. And I would be slipping up between the fentanyl and the, and the weed. I didn't like the weed because I would have panic attacks. And this is something that never happened to me before. And I think, honestly, my belief is that it, it was something that came from Allah because I was making dua while I was in jail. Ilahi wahani umadawi. like, make me hate it. First thing, when I get out, I smoke, I have crazy panic attack. Like, you know what I mean? And it's coming from my PTSD, but it never happened to me before. You know what I mean? It's not like I got shot at the first time that year. It was it happened multiple times before that. Mm -hmm. But it never happened to me. So in my head, I'm thinking like, yo, you know, this is tweaking me out, so I need something to calm me down, so I'm going to just stick with the perks. But during this time period, my homies is dying. You know what I mean? I ended up that Ramadan. I watched a, a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine, his body, and he OD'd. Allah, you know? And so, like, with me, I remember, like, what's funny is, like, I would try to, like, sneak in. I would try to figure out a way to finesse the times. Because, you know, it's, it's Ramadan, you're praying, you're trying to fast. 
So I'm like, yo, listen, I, I, I'm trying to fast. So, you know, I'm not going to do it right now. Yeah. I'm going to thug it out. When it's iftar, I'm going to get it in. Yeah. You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a, yeah. so, bro, like, it's crazy because yeah. I almost got shot at on the 27th night, bro. And it was because I broke my fast and I went to go grab some perks. Mm. And I was one of the homies. And some situation happened. Ended up going into my crib. My mom was scared, you feel me? And so she told me, you can't leave the house. And I remember I was like, all right, whatever. Went and bust down inside my bathroom. I couldn't, I couldn't, what do you call it? You know, me and the homie, we hide in the crib. Everybody's gone. This la- the, 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 what do you call it, 27th night. 27th night, yeah. Everybody gone from the house. It's just me and him. I get high, I start praying. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. I get high, I start praying, bro. I'm just trying to make do I'm trying to change, you know what yeah. I mean? But like, I think that's something that really like, and I and I truly believe this. I believe that's what safeguards me. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what safeguarded me. My bad. Yep. Hear me better? Way better. For sure. Um, I believe that's what safeguarded me. I believe throughout that whole period of time, what kept me solid and firm was that. Because there was all those slip-ups. There was all those times where, you know what I mean? I felt hopeless and I felt like, yo, I need to, I need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't change. But the, but the, but the salat, that's what really kept me firm. You know, that's my true belief. Yeah. Mashallah. Mashallah. That is a, that's a very beautiful thing, bro. Um, so you were at a, and this was, this was really a lot amazing to watch, bro. Mashallah. You were at a, the conference. You were at the Mass Ignite Conference. Was it the Mass yeah, yeah, Conference? Yeah, in Baltimore, yeah. In Baltimore. Do they really say two down there? Like two? Two? Oh, yeah. You ain't talked to no they Baltimore gotta... <laughs> force, yeah. I did. It was downtown. It was yeah, downtown, two, yeah. Two, two, yeah. This is guy I work with, and I was like, say Tuesday. He's like, bro, leave me alone, bro. <laughs> he's from Baltimore. Yeah. He's like, he's, at, he's West African, yeah. but he's also from Baltimore. Every day, I'd be like, bro, why don't I understand you? Like, I don't understand a word you're saying. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm from, uh, I think, Liberia. So I was like, nah, bro, it's not that. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. low-key a fob, too, you know? 2005, I like, yeah. I was like, where are you from? Are like, you from Minneapolis? He's like, nah, I'm from Baltimore. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's that what it is. Sense. Y'all yeah. know how to speak down there, bro. <laughs> they speak, it's like British it's American. It's yeah, it's different. So different, well, I. But what was that What was that experience like, just just being down there at, at, uh, at Mass Ikhna? I think you got interviewed by, uh, by Umar Suleiman as yeah, well. Yeah. What was that like? So um, now I'm pretty familiar with him. My sister used to work for him. Yeah. And um, I seen him a few times uh, when I was in Texas. He's a tall dude, right? Like six. Like six, four, six, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was tall. Yeah. Humble giant, though. Oh, yeah, humble giant. Real, real dude, well, like, down to earth. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so when I was over there, it was different, you know what I mean? It's not something I'm used to, you know what I mean? Growing up in Minneapolis, who we around always? Somebody, yeah, just so many people. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think the biggest thing is like, first off, I'm going to tell you something, bro. Like, I was so nervous, bro. Mm. I was beyond my mind nervous. I remember literally, I'm sweating, like, it's 8 o'clock. I'm supposed to go on at 9 o'clock. I went out. I was trying to get some coffee because yeah. I barely slept the night before. I can't find no coffee. I'm, I went to Starbucks, I went to Dunkin' Donuts, I can't find no coffee. Yeah. So I went in, I went to the uh, corner store, grabbed the, the little the cups, you know, the, yeah. the, the little glass bottles and stuff. Oh, the Starbucks, yeah. the little glass bottle, yep. Grabbed it, went back. I'm sweating. My palms are sweating, my face is sweating. I'm like, damn, bro. Because I walked, before I left, I seen the main area, you know, I didn't, I didn't go in the main hall. Yeah, that shit was packed up. Huge. <laughs> I've never spoken in front of people like this before, especially that King Mubahan, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, I've never spoken to, like, the people I'm comfortable with the most, the people that I see every day. Yeah. You know, it's easier for me to talk, you know what I mean, to, like, a, a crowd of Somali people that I could see them and 
you know, I'm more comfortable. You know what I mean? Because I see them or it's not just so many people, anybody you're comfortable with, yeah. you're easier to, you know, talk to them. It's yeah. easier to talk to them. So I wasn't comfortable, you know? I remember walking into the room and I was like, yo, Sheikh, I'm, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm dying out yeah. here, <laughs> I remember going into the, uh, to the bathroom. I took some napkins, man. I was patting myself yeah. down, you know what I mean? Because I was sweating. And then I went in there. But um, it was different for sure, yeah. Something I never experienced before and it was very surreal moment for me, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it was a very surreal moment. It was a beautiful moment, though. Like, well, I think a lot of people appreciate it. Just you going out there and representing for the Somali community and yeah. and representing for for a lot of for a lot of different things, bro. And that's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I like, and I, and I obviously like I hit you up. We was talking a little bit after yeah. that, and I was like, bro, I'm just immensely proud of you and what you're what you're doing. Mashallah, I try to give you as much flowers as you can, uh, as as I can. I think that's important too to just uplift one another and. You know, show love to one another and be like, yo, well, I'm proud of you, mashallah. Um, you told me a really cool thing as well. I wanted to point this out. I don't know if people can see it, but the front of your book, the cover. Yeah. What What's that about? What inspired you? Um, first of all, give a shout out to the guy who did this because he yo, he did my book. He that did cool. He's amazing. That book cool. Uh, and tell me a little bit about um, just yeah, just the cover, um, the title, all of it. So, from addict to advocate, uh, kind of just. I don't know. I just came to my mind. Honestly, well, I didn't even. It just. I was like, "Yo, what's the title? Let me think about it." And then th that's what came to about. Yeah. You feel me? But um, the cover, my brother actually, my older brother Abdizah, he he paints, mm -hmm. you know. And so I seen I seen the painting one day, and I was like, "Yo, damn, it's beautiful." Cause it's it's a bunch of dudes in a hole, and he wrote it in 2020. I mean, he painted it in 2020. You know, because that time everybody's in the house, everybody just painted. Everybody was painting together and stuff like that mm. to pass time. And so I remember I'm looking at it and I'm like, damn, you know, I really resonated with it. And I was like, yo, can I use this? And he was like, yeah, bro. And I sent it to Joff and Joff, he did his thing. You know what I mean? And the back too is really nice too. So the whole idea of it, the scheme of the, the painting is there's a, a bunch of dudes in a hole. And the first dude that was in the hole, he he's bringing his homies out of the hole. They they all in the hole together. Yeah. And they walking towards the sun. You know what I mean? And so yeah, man, Joe, if he did his thing, man. He's he's cold. Book him. Mashallah, mashallah. That's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing, bro. Oh, uh, so we got we got this segment on the show called "Let's Get Practical." I I made it up. I okay. Think, I think it's a great idea. I don't know. I don't know. He said that shit like that was so normal. <laughs> like, I'm over here like, damn, when we start? We do, yeah. we do it. I, I always do it, though. I'm realizing now I always do it. We just never gave it a name. You yeah. know what I mean? And we yeah. never we gave it a title. It's a nice title. I always do it, though. When we had um, Abdul you did yesterday. Well, I'll give you. I think yesterday give you, was the first time no, he did it. No, I'll give it you. the second time. Hold up, hold up. Watch hey, this. look at this. This is my memory. It's his second this how you time. Know my memory, this is how you know my memory is deadly. Okay, okay you ready? Hamza and JJ, YouTubers. I said, let's get practical. If a kid is watching this today what can they do to start a that's YouTube one. channel Ruin when she was here I said let's get practical two. if oh. somebody's struggling with nah, their nah, mental nah, that's health that's number two hey? that's two 
Abdul yesterday. Yo, let's get practical. Okay. Uh, uh, if somebody wants to, to sound like a song. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody, there's more, bro. What light is more? Yeah. I'm just not gonna toot my own horn. You feel what I'm saying? I'm be humble. I'm be humble. Show, yeah. <laughs> it's just, today is gonna become a thing. You feel what I'm come saying? On. Um. So if you're gonna come on our show, you better just have something prepared. Let's get how practical. Can I, how can I practically help people? Facts. To to do things and to inspire themselves and and to become what they want to become. I really I think rock with that. That's I think fire. it's cool, bro, because. Yeah. Like we both always say, like we want people to at least see, leave with something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, well, if they if they if they watch our show, if they watch a certain episode, whatever it may be, they can leave with something and, and be inspired. So this segment is called "Let's Get Practical." All right. Um, first of all, before before I get into that, I think well, I you are just an embodiment of the duality of life, and you're the embodiment, literally the embodiment of like the idea that what you were and the things that you go through kind of shape who you become. Hold, and up. Allah- Hold up. Can I say something? Yeah. What's duality? Duality is like... I was going to ask the same question. Duality. Duality. I promise. I promise. Like, I just can stay quiet. I promise I'm not that smart. I'm like, yo, what's that mean? I'm not that smart. I didn't want to be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you know what I mean? To get caught like, up. I'm with two authors and yeah. shit, so I'm like, maybe this is nah, what I'm supposed to know. Nah, you know what that means? <laughs> Don't worry, I heard that word on NPR like two days ago, fam. I just learned Looked that shit. Up, you you like, <laughs> I said, I'm about to say that shit on the podcast. That's a fire word, you mean? Yeah. Duality is like, damn, how do I explain that word? Duality is like... Duo, both of Yeah, life. yeah. You're just like the embodiment of like two things happening at once. Okay. And two things coming together and like being two things. Like I, for example, I'm the duality of, of like growing up in the hood and growing up in that sort of experience yeah. but also like making it out of that sort of experience and, yeah. and doing a lot with my life and, and you know what I'm saying or yeah. I'm the duality of, of of being born in Africa and being raised in that environment but also here. growing up here in America so yeah. I think yours definitely the duality of like cause bro well lie we've in 2019 I think me and this guy probably buried <laughs> 10 plus yeah. If maybe even more than that, Hamza knows a bunch of you. The entire city of Minneapolis, if you grew up in Minneapolis, if you grew up in Minnesota and some my community, you know somebody or you know somebody, somebody, or you're related to somebody who lost their battle to addiction and who died from that shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and and that's that's a very scary thing. But like we know a lot of people who didn't make it, who didn't win their fight with that battle, you know what I'm saying? Um, but alhamdulillah, 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 you did. And again, like I was saying. Like Allah's plan, and you say in your book too, is incredible. Because in the time that you were, where you were, right, in that moment when you were dealing with addiction, bro, if, if somebody came, if I came to you from, from uh, June 2nd, 2022, and I was like, yo, oh, danger, bro. Um, yeah, bro, you about to be on my podcast in a couple of years. You about to be a published author. You gonna get uh, interviewed by Umar Salema. You gonna be good, bro. You look at me like I'm crazy. You be like... What are you are you serious, right? Yeah. And I would be the same way if somebody came to me in, in in a time that was low for me in my life and said, "Yo, you're gonna be doing this, you're gonna be doing that." I'd be like, "Fuck out of here with that shit. Yeah. It's not gonna happen," you know. But Allah's plan is is a very powerful and beautiful thing. So I just wanted to to give you those flowers and, and to say those things and and to make people watching this aware of that, like you know, I get it. It's tough because the way our brains work, you exist in the now. You yeah. live in the now. You are literally the now, you know? But yeah. Allah's plan is amazing. You'll see it literally unfold in front of you. And a lot of us have had the pleasure of just seeing Allah's plan unfold for you. And that's, that's an amazing thing. I love y'all niggas, man. That's an amazing I just want to let y'all know that nigga. Yeah. Well, I, I love, I love you too, bro. Um, so the reason that I use that word duality, though, is because, um, <laughs> you know... You said what? 
the mic this side that way okay yeah, there you go um the reason i said that word is that like for a lot of times bro and i and i feel like this as well you get you as just a character as an individual get pigeonholed into a lot of stuff right and and people just they say oh yeah you're a recovering addict and that's all you are you mm -hmm. know what I mean but you so much more than that bro what well, lies yeah. so much more than Put a that. whole piece on that yeah exactly yeah. and I feel like you you experienced that as well you know yeah. and you and you know what that feels like um so because of that right now when we get in practical I'm gonna I'm gonna obviously ask you if people watching this are are dealing with addiction what are some practical steps what are some some things that they can go out and do today if they're inspired by you and your story to go and get the help that they need to get to where they want to get to, right? But the other aspect of it is right, you're not just that. You're so much more than that. You're a published author as well, right? So if people are watching this and they're inspired by your, your writing and they're inspired by the fact that you're an author, what are ways that they can go out and, and, and do those things if they're already a writer, if they want to get into writing, whatever whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, you can you can answer either of those in... in in any capacity that you want. Um, so for somebody going through it, I think the biggest thing to understand is that comparison is the thief of joy. And like, everybody has their own unique pathway to recovery. You get me? Like, I feel like at the end of the day, right, how somebody else, you know, gets sober and how somebody else gets sober ain't the same. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like the biggest thing that a lot of people, I remember when I first got sober, and I was telling niggas, yo, you should go to treatment. Niggas be like, yo, your ass ain't go to treatment. Mm. Why are you going to treatment? Why, why are you telling me to go to treatment? You know? And I didn't go to treatment. But the reason why I did it, because I didn't know, I didn't know nothing about treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had no, the only thing I knew about treatment was my homie, right? He went there because the court told him you got to go there or you go to jail. Yeah, court mandated. <laughs> feel me? Yeah. And this nigga's telling me, yeah, man, I hate this place. You feel me? And then when he started working there, he was trying to tell me, yo, come through. You know what I mean? Close friend of mine, he's also the co-founder of the organization, Khadr. Mm -hmm. He was the one that's telling me, yo, you know, you should you should come through. And I'm like, bro, you just, man, you just trying to, you, you bored, bro. Yeah. You're trying to keep me to come over there, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like Keep you, keep him company. Yeah. So I was like, nah, you know. And it was because of the stigma and the, uh, the misunderstanding and the, the ignorance because of it. Yeah. I didn't even know what Suboxone and Methadone was. Yeah. I had no idea what that was when I got sober. I got sober cold turkey. Went through withdrawals, all of that. Wow, that's you feel tough. Me? That's yeah, tough. it was horrible, bro. But you, the thing is, I had no knowledge of it. Well, I had no knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing is understanding that, yo, what works for you might not work for somebody else. Yeah. What works for somebody else might not work for you. Yeah. Everybody's different. And so understanding that and accepting that is the first way. The other thing is, is being humble enough to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Putting yourself at that standard where you're like, yo, listen, it's all good. Yeah. Biggest thing as a man and what's put in inside us, right? Or it's, it's not just a man. So my other or done, you know what I mean? But speaking in my experience, right? That toxic masculinity where you think like, yo, I'm a grown ass man. Yeah, I don't need that shit. Yeah, what? I'm gonna do this myself. You feel me? And it's that type of stuff that gets somebody killed because you'll stay away from it for a couple of weeks, right? Or a couple of days, whatever it may be. Your tolerance level goes down. Then you go and do it again. You know what I mean? And then you relapse because your tolerance level is not the same. And what you're taking is a deadly substance. It's not the same dose every day. Mm -hmm. So you go and take it. You're taking something that your body's not used to. You go and you OD. You get me? So like, I feel like understanding that, yo, everybody has a different pathway to recovery. Yeah. Asking for help. Seeing what works for you. You know what I mean? And I think like, 
accepting accepting what what it is you know whatever happened happened now you got to move forward when i got sober everybody i grew up with they all graduated and i'm thinking to myself like fuck bro you feel me like all these that fomo mm -hmm. you just cons consistently the whole thing that's going on in your head bro man you ain't shit look at all your homies you know what i mean you already did this to yourself what what, what you trying for right now you know, them intrusive thoughts, they get to you. You know what I mean? Forget everybody else and stigma and all of that. The, the intrusive thoughts that come to a person, right, in their darkest and lowest times, it's just deadly. So kind of battling that and making sure that you have that support system, seeking that help, accepting accepting things for what they are, right, and trying to, trying to make that change and taking it day by day. You know, the first thing I tell... First thing, every nigga that I be talking to is they, they, what they say is like, yo, bro, like, I'm going to need a job right now. I need, I got to do this. I got to do that. They're focusing on 10,000 different things. Yeah. But then the reason why is it's, it's, it's your mind trying to find an excuse to put the recovery last. You know what I mean? And so it's like, the, the thing is, you got to think about it like, yo, look, the way I tell it to niggas is like, yo, you in the water and you're drowning and you got some, you got some uh, weights on your legs. You got to get to shore, right? How you going to get to shore, though? You got, the, you got the weights on your legs. You probably could. You got some strong legs. You probably could. Mm -hmm. But it would be easier to get the weights off your legs, right? Yeah. So you want to get to your goals. The thing that's in front of you, right, is this addiction that you're battling. You knock that shit down, though. And you, you'll be able to get to your goals way quicker. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's what's dragging you away from all your goals. You know what I mean? So, like, taking it day by day, understanding, yo, this is a battle that I'm going to have to deal with. You know what I mean? The rest of your life. There's times where I get triggered to this day. Mm -hmm. There's times where I'm in a dark place in my life and I got to make that active decision. Yo, I'm not going to do this shit. Yeah. Right? Because I put myself in a position now where I got some shit to lose. Everybody got something to lose. But when you're working towards your goals, now you got something like you like thinking to yourself, yo, this is, if I do this right now, I know what I'm, I know what I, I can lose. You know what I mean? So I feel like the biggest thing is like understanding that, yo, I'm going to knock this shit down. I'm going to knock this shit down and taking it day by day and not comparing yourself to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Just trying to be better than yourself who you yeah. were yesterday. Because like you said, comparison is the thief of joy. Thief of joy. You know what I mean? So I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And then for the for, for the, the book. For the book. If I'm if I'm watching this right now, I'm a writer, man. I got I got my I got my poems and my notes. I'm like, man, I wish I wish people can can see my shit. I wish people can read my shit. What what steps should they take cuz cuz I know that it, you know why it's important, bro? Because it, it's crazy. The things that happen for in generations happen for us in a couple of years. Yeah. Chowder published his book. I called him. I was like, what's up, nigga? I'm trying to publish my book. Yeah. What should I do, right? Yeah. He's like, I fucked up here. I fucked up there. Don't do it. And like when y'all was interviewing me the first time with Sincerely Honest, I was telling y'all about this shit. I was like, yo, I hit up Chowder. He's like, yeah, don't go through these niggas. Go through these niggas. Yep. I'm going to hook y'all up with my nigga Joe. Oh, yeah. hook you up. The Amazon plug. The Amazon plug. Yep. Everything, right? And then this nigga called me. And this all happened. Thing. This all happened within the span of like two years, bro. Yeah. And he called me. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm hit you up with this nigga Joff. Joff is like, how do I explain it? Joff is like the Timberland of the, of the, of the poetry industry. He's like, he's like the, he's like the Pharrell of the poetry. We, we all trying to finish our album. And like, yeah, go. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get you a studio session with DJ Pharrell. Yeah, DJ Khaled. Yeah, DJ Khaled. He gonna get you right. And then Joff is at forty. 
to our Drake. Literally, Walai. Like, he just puts the book together. He does such an amazing job. So, yeah. big, Walai, big shout out to him. He's an amazing individual, mashallah. Extremely talented. But yeah, yeah, just to get back to it, um, I'm trying to write my book. Uh, what should I do? How should I go about it? I think the biggest thing for me was like, in the beginning, the first month, I barely got shit done. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing for me was knowing what to write uh, because the book, what I what I did was, so some of these poems, they're based on specific periods of times in my life, but I wrote them after those periods of time. And so the way I I, I um, put the poem, to, uh, put the book together was I, I put the poems in chronological order to walk people throughout my life in these mm -hmm. past three years. And so placing them was one thing. The other thing was writing about them because I wanted to kind of set a vision for people to get them to like take a peek in, peek out. Next next chapter, yeah. peek in, peek out. Understand like, oh, this is what was going through my head. And I remember the first month, I just kept thinking, damn, what should I say? And you know, like for me, I use my phone a lot. I use my laptop a lot too, but like I use my phone more than my laptop. And so when I would be in front of a laptop, I'm thinking to my head, I'm like, I'm in book mode <laughs> and this is what the audience is going to see. Yeah. So I got to caution myself everything I'm saying. And I remember I was just like, you know what? I turned off my laptop. I got in my bed. I got comfy. Every, every poem, I would read it a couple of times out loud. And I just started writing in my notes mm -hmm. of what was going through my head. It was way much easier, you know what I mean, when I was writing that way. And I put it in there and then just edited it up a little bit more. But I had something to work with that was of substance because it was real. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about, yo, what is these niggas going to say? Oh, 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 you know what I mean? It causes you to be less authentic. But when you just think like, yo, and I'm just right. And you put yourself in that position where like, yo, listen, it's just you in your room. Lights off. Yeah. Some of you know, I think I got LED lights in my room. Turn on the LED lights. <laughs> change, it, I mean? change it to red. You feel me? Set the mood and shit. Yeah, I know what you just mean. Just start writing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know with me, it was on my phone, the notes, you know, I just continued writing. And, you know, I would just pin them. Pin them all up to the top. Yeah. And just look over them and, you know, put them where I see fit. And then just try, try to edit it out. But I think the biggest thing, yeah, that was for me was kind of like making sure to get myself out of book mode you know that's the biggest thing is like when you're writing like for me my biggest writer block was i was like writing as if people were right there with w me watching you yeah so it was like there's something on my back i'm like oh hell no nah, i can't yeah, yeah. so I, when i started writing by myself though like and put myself in that mode it was able to flow easier way easier 100 percent, mashallah and and to anybody that's interested in that bro because well i we, we don't need Three authors. We don't need four authors. We need a gang of authors. That's Facts. what we need. We need everybody to start writing books. Niggas need to read more. Yeah. Motherfuckers don't read like they used to, man. Yeah. Remember when we was younger, we read like five chapter, chapter books in a week. Percy Jackson. I've all the Percy Jackson books in one week. Daniel X. Daniel, all of them, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really like Harry Potter like that, though. I think yeah. Harry Potter's kind of... I, I didn't read that shit, yeah. dude. You know what I'm saying? Hamza, Hamza fuck with the Harry Potter, bro. He just looked like he fuck with the Harry Potter. <laughs> He be reading. I, I high key did for yeah, Harry Potter. Yeah. I'm like, because well, you know why? Look, I'll tell yeah. you exactly why. Hamza went to Southwest. Yeah, okay. See, he's laughing. He knows. Hamza, Hamza got that. Hey, bro. He got that good. About, this is the thing. We're gonna talk about high schools. You went to prison. I know. I went to South. <laughs> that's the point I'm making. That's the point I'm making. That's the little point I'm making. My school had windows and shit. Your windows. <laughs> Windows. Did you have windows? He's talking about windows. Motherfucker, I walked in there after a track meet to use the bathroom. Niggas had a coffee shop in the school. Y'all didn't have a coffee shit shop? Shit looked like MC. A coffee shop, nigga. We barely had a cafeteria, nigga. They had the circle above the 
cafeteria. Security guards would walk in and shit. Yeah. But I remember, I remember when I was in South had like a whole right. Yeah, yeah, bro. I remember that. Because look, y'all got education. So here's a, here's what it is, though. Y'all got education, but we got experience. No, that's you know what I'm We got life experience. Y'all what y'all got? Y'all got teachers that don't care. <laughs> no, we're not, dog. We got teachers that care. You uh, coming out my nigga, you, but you used to work that, I man. Know, right? <laughs> you, that's you, my point. <laughs> you, that's my point. Kids, y'all had a you teacher, y'all. You uh, <laughs> kids, kids sitting there like, are you, but I need help with my homework. Hey, wait up. Wait up, nigga. I got to finish this TikTok, oh, I got to make a TikTok. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie to y'all. Harry Potter had uh, one too many big words for me. So I'm going to say <laughs> I stopped watching after the fourth movie. The fourth movie. The movies probably, is good though. Yeah, the, the movies, movies is nice, yeah. the movies is great. But well, like we do, we do definitely need more authors. And um, the biggest reason that that I wrote my book, and I know that you wrote your book as well, is somebody told me that if you don't see it out there in the world, you got to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. I was reading a lot of books, and I was relating to some of them, especially a lot of black literature. But I was like, I'm I I'm like this, but I'm really not like it. You feel yeah. what I'm saying? I'm Somali. I have my own life experiences, exactly. and I have a gang of people who have the same life experiences mm-hmm. as me. So, you know, I would love to write something that kids can can look at in 10, 15, 20 years and be like, "This is some gas, nigga. Yeah. I fucks with this." You know what I'm saying? Whereas they gotta read uh, what's his name, Edgar Allan Poe and shit, like some weird. Some I don't even know that is. I Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> is basically. He was like a schizophrenic poet and he would read, write the like, craziest shit. Yeah. Uh, and they thought bro was crazy, but he was dealing with like mental health issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not going to lie, his shit is gas too. But like yeah. you got to just be in a different level of like understanding Thanks. literature and stuff yeah. to, to tap in with it. But I would say the biggest advice I would give is reach out. Mm-hmm. Reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out. Like just if you want to do something and someone you know is doing it, I even you know. Someone who Somali is doing it, yeah. cut the bullshit. DM the Call like, him right now. Yeah, be like other theories. I am Somali. I need help. I want to write my book. Hey. What's the word? Like, what should I do? You know, hey. or I want to start a podcast. What should I do? I want to get into tech. What should I do? Yeah. This guy, he be doing that all the time. He be cutting the bullshit. He be telling niggas straight up. You want to get into tech? It's not easy. You need to do this. You we, need to do that. We even so, had Abdul yesterday. Yeah, and Abdul was talking about how without mentorship, yeah, it's tough. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's the biggest that's the biggest thing that I would say. So, well, I'd be like, um, that's the thing with so- Somalis though, man. They too prideful for that most of the yeah. time. You know what I mean? That's what I think. That's a, you're not lying. yeah. You gotta you gotta you gotta that reaching out is 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 a, it's a humbling experience first and foremost. But on top of that, it gives you the tools that you need. And you know, Somali the last hour not too. Mm-hmm. That's you know the I mean? weird part though. That's what I was gonna say. The older yeah. generation is the complete opposite with yeah. it. Yeah. They the, tell there's no pride. There's none of that. It's West your Island, how'd yeah. you do it? Yeah. yeah. Our, copy like, and paste, literally, a lie. Nothing different. A lie was copy and paste. <laughs> no, every look at every single Somali owned business yeah. of a certain age is the exact same. Okay. But you come to you laughing, but these dudes is balling out. Yeah, facts, together. Facts. Our generation was like, people want to just keep stuff a secret and mm-hmm. and they want to keep that like being alone in an area and she's like, yo, I'm the only one that does this. I'm the greatest. Woo woo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I want to be the only one. And I think that comes from fear of social media, but I also think it's competition. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Well, I think people are is. scared of competition. Yeah, mm-hmm. Cause niggas not gangster like they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> but no, well, that's important though. You gotta have a love for competition, bro. If you yeah. want to make it anywhere in life, like well, it, I feel like iron sharpens iron. Oh, hundred percent. That's 100%. a fact. I think at the end of the day, if you understand that, yo, we are Somali. If we uplift each other, bro. If you look at like ATL, bro. And how how the African American community yeah, they uplift each other? Yeah. Come on, bro. 
we can do the exact same thing. Yeah. But the thing is, is like that's that it's that competition. You know what and I mean? There's and there's not that many of us, so that's the crazy part. If you yeah. think about it, why it's not that many of us? Yeah. It's not. Allah is not. It just seemed like it because we loud as fuck. <laughs> And we be everywhere. It seems yeah. like it. Yeah. But there's not there's like eleven million Somalis worldwide. Really? That like yeah. eleven to like eighteen million not that many. worldwide. Yeah. You know how many Nigerians there are in the world, nigga? Really? Two hundred million fucking Nigerians in the world. <laughs> then there's the Chinese of, of, of Africa worldwide. There's a lot of Nigerians. But I'm saying like, well, I worry. There's not a lot of us. <laughs> Call them the Chinese of Africa. <laughs> the Chinese of Africa. Somebody, somebody told me that. Yeah. Some nigga I work is Nigerian. Nah, they be deep though. They be Brooklyn deep Center, Brooklyn fuck. Park. Yeah. Yeah, Nigerian Brooklyn Liberia. Liberia. What about yeah. Nigeria? In Nigeria, Lagos. Oh my God. The city of Lagos is yeah. more Nigerians than the city of Lagos. Yeah, that's crazy. Than the entire country of Somalia is I. <laughs> that's crazy, bro. Yeah. Well, that's wild. You know how many Oromos there are in the world? There's a lot. Yeah. I tell you that Ethiopians, they deep. They double, triple us. Well, I that's crazy. Just, I know we got that <laughs> We got that tenacity. Yeah, we vocal, we loud. You know, we not going. For and when shit. I say when I say loud, like it's it's not in an obnoxious way. We just we have that bravado about us as a Somali person. Mm. Like we walk into rooms with confidence. We do what we want when we want. And like mm -hmm. I love that. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like well, I, it's the most beautiful thing. It's the most amazing thing. Like. It's a big part of a lot of us. And it's a big part of like why our parents were able to come to this country with nothing. And could make it to something. It's just that, again, it's that tenacity that high school, college, I'm not getting no certificates. Business of Hornaya. It's not registered. Suck my dick. I'm making millions, nigga. You know what I'm saying? I love that. That's my shit. Wallah, I live for that, bro. Mashallah. And I think it's, it's it's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing, bro. And I can I can definitely see that in you. That just you don't quit. You don't give up on yourself. You don't give up on the things that you want to do. And uh, and that's a beautiful thing. You know what's crazy? Did we ask you when you? Because this is the second time you came. This up. is this yeah. is the second time. Yeah. Usually we do that. The end of our podcast yeah. where it's like, yo, inshallah, in the year we are gonna see you. Woo woo. Yeah. Did we ask you that? Sorry, we don't uh, be paying attention. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think we so. did. Nah, nah. But it's crazy because it, what it's been like six months and already you just boom yeah has it been whole, six months yeah because it, it was December been. last it was like year December like December November of last year yeah wow I think it was I think it was November how many December six months it was when, out there well, it like, was, mashallah it was no it was October was it October yeah because um Chowder was there Chowder and uh, it was October yeah it was October yeah it was October but y'all posted it I think in December. Yeah, we lost the visuals for that one, didn't we? Yeah. Thunder, laugh it. Oh, it's right here. <laughs> boy, look at this Yo, picture, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look at this picture, picture, boy. He got the, he got the, I got the little, look it to the side. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was, Yo, so in, if y'all, in December, actually, they posted on my birthday. And so yeah. if anybody, anyone, viewers wondering like, yo, why didn't we ask any like personal, in-life, in-depth questions? That's that's the podcast to go to. Yeah, yeah that po that podcast. That first, that first about, one. We yeah. talked about just your life. Yeah, that was deep. Mm -hmm. So I suggest going to watch that. But yo, to lead off to that question though, inshallah, we do this to all of our guests. In one year's time, we would love to have you back mm. for for a third time. Hopefully, a fifth, sixth, seventh time, eighth time, ninth time. Just like where as much do you as we see yourself you. in a year, inshallah? I see myself doing the same shit. Mm. You feel me? Just at a higher level. You know what I mean? Doing more of it. I ain't gonna lie. That's the coldest answer everybody's ever, <laughs> anybody's ever said. 
A no, lot, no. a lot of niggas are like some niggas are humble. Yeah. They're like, inshallah, bro. I just, I hope I'm still alive. Um, and and driving the same car. Yeah, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, inshallah some I'm niggas, be alive, yeah. some niggas still have a whole lot of bravado. Nigga, in a year's time, I'm gonna publish eight books, <laughs> cure cancer, do four things. But this nigga had the most cedar answer there is. Well, I'm not gonna lie. He said, "Nigga, I'm about to be doing the same shit. It's a different day." <laughs> I love that. Allah be like. But nah, go ahead, yeah. my bad. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go nah, ahead. I appreciate you, gang. No, nah, that's a, that's a fact. Now, I just kind of what I'm doing right now is 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 what I love doing. You know what I mean? We just started. Um, in February, we started offering peer recovery services. So, you know, one-on-one, we're hiring people that are in recovery. You know what I mean? That are one year in recovery, making them take this training, getting certified by the MCB, the Minnesota Certification Board, right? And um, it gives them opportunities not only to work with us, but to work with other places, treatment centers, and get into the field of addictionology, right? And um, we're doing this within the Somali community. We only hire people from the East African community. You know what I mean? Working with individuals that are in recovery, individuals that are struggling with addiction, um, Probably the biggest thing that I hope to see within the next year is opening that drop-in center we was talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? But oh, yeah. we just kind of, right now, is just in the beginning phases. You know what I mean? Needs a lot of money, a lot of construction. Place is trash, you feel me? But It's going to look beautiful, though. Inshallah. Inshallah. inshallah, inshallah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Muhammad's a big, big part of that, man. Oh, yeah. Like, the whole part of everything, you know what I mean? I remember 2019, we was talking about it and everything. Yep. You feel me? And so the whole idea of what we're going to do, you know, like, hopefully the... Now... You know, hopefully within a year, it won't just be conversation. Because like in 2019, we were continually talking to like the government about this shit. Yeah. Help us. We need a space. Remember, we was tired of meetings. That's <laughs> where time, that's yeah. where that's where my my hatred for meetings. That's where it started. <laughs> that's where yeah. it started. Yeah. Every month, nigga. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's meet. Let's yeah. talk about what we can do about the community. Let's what they say, let's have a sit down, brother. <laughs> And they just take pictures and leave and post yeah. it on social media, you know what I mean? With nothing, no no substance, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So how than now, like, it's actually something becoming real. And we're going to start doing community funding for the place, show people how it is. The place is really broken down. It hasn't been used in, like, 14 years. There's no HVAC. The walls are broken down. It needs plumbing, electrical, a whole bunch of stuff. But hopefully within the next uh, within the next year, it should be good. You know inshallah. what I mean? Inshallah. inshallah. But that's probably the biggest project that I'm hoping to see come out of this year. The end of the day, the same work would be be done. We just have a space to do it, which makes people more safe. People will be more people would be able to come and be kind of like a home base. You know Inshallah. what I mean? Well, that's a beautiful thing, bro. So before we we round up and close out, um, obviously you're doing a lot of projects. You have Generation Hope as well. So please let folks know where they can get connected with that um, fundraising options, whatever it may be. You can look right into the camera and let them know. I want to put you in a spot, nothing like that. But that's important to me because. Everybody watching this, if y'all can give at least a dollar, nigga, a dollar's not a lot. It's two honey buns, my nigga. If you can give two honey buns to this brother right here, <laughs> you can help a lot of people out. Um, so, yeah, just let them know about Generation Hope and and how they can help out and get connected. Yeah, so um, uh, our, our organization's website is generationhopemn.org. If you go on there, you just see the donate button. It's, a, it's literally staring at you, just mm-hmm. like I'm staring at you right now. You yeah. just see it. It's right there. You know what I'm saying? Please, saying, please donate. Mm-hmm. So you just go on the site. You can see it right there. Um, the book is up for sale over there, too. It's on pre-sale. Buy a but, copy, nigga. Read a book. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real, though. You know what I mean? But, like, it'll it'll be open. On, um, It's for pre-sale right now, but we'll be sending out the copies on June 16th. We also got an event. My boy's finna be performing over yes, there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know what I mean? At the Granada Theater on uh, June 16th. So you can come through over there, catch the vibes, a lot of poetry, a lot of art. We're going to have our um, 
our bro uh, Muhammad Hirsi, mm-hmm. who did who did some art. You know what I mean? He's in recovery too. Got some mad um, paintings. It's crazy, nice. Mashallah. And so, inshallah, yeah. But uh, yeah, donate from you can donate.